0: Hello, everybody. This is Andy LeBeau of Commodity Research Group. Today I am joined with Marty Stetzer, the president of EKT Interactive, and also my partner, Ed Muir, uh, who was recently named the number one base metals analyst in the in the world, very impressive, by Metals Bulleted. So uh, we're gonna do our Weekly commentary. Uh, we're going to talk about oil and metals and whatever else. Today is March seventh. Good morning, Marty.
1: Good morning, Andy and Ed. Happy to be with you again this week.
0: So we, we've we had we've got a, a lot to talk about. You know, th- there's actually a lot going on in in the oil market, but. The market's not really moving, but there's plenty. Luckily, there's a lot to uh, a lot to talk about. I mean, the market seems to be just kind of stuck here uh, in a in a narrow range. But you know, there's there's a lot going on that could easily change that uh, range in in one way or the other. I I think I'm going to start. Just briefly going through the uh, EIA's, which showed a, a crude stock build of uh, seven million barrels. You know, some people were really hand wringing over that build, but the reality is it drew nine million last week, and there was fog in the in the Houston Ship Channel, which prevented a lot of uh, the imports getting in. Fog lifted, imports increased, and lo and behold, we had we had a build in stocks. I, I don't think it was. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it was all that all that much of a surprise. In fact, we we at uh, Commodity Research Group were uh, looking for a build of uh, over five million barrels, and we were on the the we were the highest. So I, I think we nailed that pretty good. Uh, on gasoline, a draw of 4.2, uh, distillate a draw of 2.4, and total inventories uh, were basically unchanged. Two things I want to talk about on the on the EIA's one. Uh, kind of following up from our, our last report, gasoline is looking a lot better. It has drawn consistently the, this over the last few weeks, and uh, you know, in January it looked as though gasoline could really get into a bad surplus situation, and that and that has not happened in, in the least. In, in fact, uh, gasoline has cleaned up is cleaned up nicely. Demand is good, and as a result, day supply are at twenty eight. Versus a four-year average of twenty-seven point twenty-seven and a half. So gasoline's in uh, in very good shape uh, heading into the the driving season. The cracks have rallied, so that that is certainly one to watch. Diesel continues to be continues to be tight at thirty-three and a half days versus a four-year average of thirty-seven point three days, and diesel is uh, definitely. You know that's something we're going to be watching very very carefully as the IMO uh, you know as the IMO 2020 uh, approaches So Marty, will be talking about that a lot as uh, later in the year. and And finally, uh, on crude stocks at four fifty three uh, day supply are twenty eight and a half versus 30. So So crude stocks are are in pretty good shape. Total stocks are 60 days. That's where they should be this time of year. So um, looking at, at the inventory data, you know, it, it looks fine. You know, it's not. I don't think it's in big oversupply. I certainly don't think it's tight by any means. So the inventories look um, look fine. Now, look, looking ahead, there's been there was a lot of talk over the last couple. Well, there's always a lot of talk, Marty, about U.S. production, and um, exactly. we, hit another, we hit another record of uh, 12.1 million barrels a day. And uh, it, it looks as though it's not only in you know on land, but it looks like offshore there's the, a good story for U.S. production.
1: Exactly, Andy. There was a really good article in the uh, Houston Chronicle that talked about how the Gulf of Mexico production has, has really snapped back. The rig count, the offshore rig count, is up something like 30% over last year, and like the shale play in the Permian, they hit a new record in the Gulf of Mexico of, of a little over 2 million barrels a day, and there's a forecast that that could increase 15% next year on the basis of projects that are already in the development production stage without any new discoveries. The other interesting thing for our listeners is the Gulf of Mexico production is is generally a heavier crude, which is really needed by some of the U.S. refineries, so it might offset some of that gap that we have with what's going on with Canada and Venezuela.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that, you know, the, the narrative has really been with the shale production, but I, I think it's really interesting that, uh, you know, we've got to start watching Gulf Coast production. And as you said, it's, real, it's pretty important that that heavy crude start, starts coming out. There was a, there was a very interesting story in the uh, journal this week about production in uh, the shale production in the Permian, regarding the um, wells being drilled too, t- the, uh, wells being drilled too tight uh, to each other, and as a result, the efficiencies aren't, aren't as as great as what had been uh, forecast, uh, as they're interfering with their the so-called parent well, uh, the pa- parent jo- child. Problem is, is I, I think, is a good analogy there. Uh, and Marty, you you have, you have some interesting, talking about analogies, you had a great analogy earlier uh, on uh, on Shale that I, I, you know, it would be great let if me, you could share yeah, with our me, listeners. Let me try
1: it on our listeners. And by the way, this parent-child relationship is not new. I mean, it's it's new to the public, probably. But I saw one of my first presentations on that problem in 2010 at the Society of Petroleum Engineers meeting when they were talking about uh, multi-well interference in the shale play in the natural gas side, in the Marcellus Shale. So I think it's, it's uh, recognized, but now it's a matter of trying to figure out how to optimize your well spacing as well as the, the number of wells. But uh, people tend to think of the shale as a, uh, as a solid, uh, co- continuous reservoir, which it is, but it's not all the same. And it's really difficult drilling. A friend of mine who is a geologist said, think of shale having the consistency of the concrete on I-70 and the permeability and the porosity of something that looks exactly like that. This is not a coal bed or a slate bed that has a lot of uh, gaps and and holes in it. It's really difficult rock. So analyzing what's going on down there uh, is, is extremely difficult. And the long laterals that they're talking about now, 5, 6, 7,000 feet, the geology changes along the lateral, even if you're in this same uh, geological strata that you'd like to be in. So what they've been able to do to get the production to its levels already has been technologically uh, really amazing. And I'm sure they'll figure this other well spacing problem out.
0: Right. I I, I think, uh, they've proven with the use of technology that that they will be able to figure out. You know, they've overcome, as you mentioned, they've overcome so much uh, just to get production up to to where it is. You know, you'd have to you'd have to believe they're going to figure it out. The the other thing I thought that was very interesting about U.S. production this week is uh, you know we've heard from the majors and in particular. Chevron saying that uh they're expecting their production to go up in the Permian from four fifty a day to nine hundred a day and and Exxon too, uh looking at, at gains in, in production and, and you have to believe as the majors move in, you know, the the things will become even increasingly uh more efficient in and, the uh in the Permian.
1: And they have the long term view and, and the capital resources available, unlike a lot of the independents that are so dependent on outside financing for what they're trying to do.
0: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, and, and that they bring a lot, they bring a lot of capital to that, to the game. And, uh, you know, the game is going to change, you know, the, the game is, is going to shift, I think in favor of the, uh, in favor of, of the majors. Let's just shift Tell talking about shift, let's just shift a little bit to what we can look forward to, uh, over the next um, today's March seventh so over, over the next couple of months, what I think the market is going to be watching um obviously it's going to be watching the uh what's going go what's going on uh with the waivers uh with with Iran india's trying to uh, india's already said that they're uh, looking for three hundred thousand barrels a day Iran is exporting like one point three and other asian refiners are are looking. For waiver exemption, so that's going to, we'll see what what happens there obviously we're watching uh, Venezuela very closely today that today it was reported that uh, Venezuela is going to lose access to uh, some of their tankers which are are going to be which are tied up in uh, Europe because the companies have uh, not been paid companies operating the, those uh, tankers and their wells are and their storage is filling up so you know, one would expect Venezuelan production will, will fall. We also will be um, watching the OPEC meeting next month. So the, there's, and and what's happening in Nigeria and also in Libya where major, uh, where their major field has uh, restarted. So there's a lot going on, a lot to watch, uh, a lot of traps on either side, you know, a lot. so the market may not be moving, Marty, but you know, there's, we'll be watching a lot of things that can influence the market. So it should, it should be an it should be a uh, pretty interesting couple couple of uh, months um, here. So with
1: so many wild cards out there, Andy, everybody is it looks like they're standing pat. Is that generally what's going on right now?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I think people are, are, and you can see it from the commitment of traders. Uh, a lot of traders are just are just loath to place big bets right now, and you can't blame them. Right, you just you just can't blame them. So, w- with that, Marty, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, put on Ed Meyer, uh who's gonna talk a little bit about metals and the dollar. Little, uh, yeah, because the, the the euro's making a big move today. So, Ed, take it away to talk about metals.
1: Hello, Ed. Nice to have you join us again.
2: Thank you very much. I will be brief uh, just to update your listeners on a couple of macro things that are going on today the ECB came out and really slashed its growth forecast for Europe I think it's uh, now down to 1.1 uh, percent from uh, from 1.7 percent so it was a 0.6 percent drop they've also increased some uh, some of this easy easy uh, loans to, to the banks. They've extended some loans out to two years, kind of uh, you know, uh, easy money for some of the banks to make use of. And they've extended their QE till the end of the year, as opposed to the summer. So they they've basically are admitting that things in Europe are not looking good at all, especially in Germany, where growth has really hit the wall. So uh, net net of all this is that the dollar is is surging today, and it's kind of pressuring all the commodity markets except for oil, as you guys discussed. That that seems to be holding up well. But if you look at uh, base metals, precious metals, gold, silver, platinum, copper, nickel, they've they've all kind of had a rough week this week. Not a huge sell off, but they they're coming off their highs. I think another thing that's happening across the markets is the fact, you know, the classic uh, buy the rumor, sell the news with regard to the trade agreement. You know, we've been rallying for weeks now on the back of of an imminent agreement. We seem to have gotten uh, uh, the rudimentary outlines of a deal in place. And um, there isn't much more upside, especially in equities. They seem to be struggling today. And they've had a, uh, I think this is the fourth down day uh, in a row. Although again, the declines are fairly limited. But the trade deal, I think, will come together. Uh, I'm not, you know, that's not a very out of the way position. Most people are thinking we will have some sort of a deal. But I think it'll be so Watered down and so, so full of loopholes that it really won't be that robust. And I think the markets are sensing that as well. In fact, the Financial Times had a really nice checklist of items that, that the two sides are negotiating on, and uh, I'll just go over them very quickly. Uh, the trade deficit component, you, know, buying more U.S. goods, the Chinese will, will give on that. You know they'll buy more soybeans, more natural gas. So that's that's an easy one, low-hanging fruit, so to speak. The next one is intellectual property rights. The FT is saying that uh, they think the Chinese will play ball on that because they're already introducing some uh, uh, courts to adjudicate these matters. They're trying to uh, protect trademarks and patents. So I think there'll be some agreement there. Subsidies is a third area. This is a real sticking point because uh, the Chinese will probably not uh, budge on uh, removing subsidies. You know, subsidies are are part and parcel of their economic fabric. A lot of their industries are subsidy dependent, so I, uh, that's going to be a bone of contention. Cyber cyber intrusions, you know, cyber attacks. China's denying it's engaged in any hacking. So, you know, acknowledging something that you're denying doing is also going to be quite uh, difficult. That, that's also sticky. The requirement to transfer technology, kind of open up your books when you come to China, that's also something the U.S. is, is very concerned about. I think the Chinese will allow Companies to come in without divulging their technologies, but I think they'll do it only in industries where where China already has a, a big advantage, like the banks you know no no u s bank is is going to be able to compete with the Bank of China, which I understand has something like a hundred million customers, so you know it, it, it's it, they're just too far ahead in some fields, and if they allow uh, c- competition it's going to be in, uh, in, field, in sectors that they're already way ahead. And of course, last but not least, are these snapback provisions on the tariffs. I think that's also a big sticking point. You know, China doesn't want to uh, enter a deal and then uh, to find out a month later or two months later that uh, it's not to the liking of, of the Americans and uh, tariffs are going to be snapped back. So I think that's, that's a big um, Achilles heel in the agreement. You know, I think for businesses, they want to see clarity. They want to see a tariff-free environment for three years or five years. They don't want to operate under a, under a cloud of, of tariffs kind of being snapped back uh, willy-nilly. So I, I have a lot of issues with the agreement, but, but the markets expect something to be done um, it likely will get done, but it's not going to be f- foolproof. And lastly, we have the European car tariffs. This is this is really not on anyone's radar. But I think uh, you know, if we impose tariffs on Europe, I think the markets will really have a sharp, a sharp fall. And uh, that's about it. I'm available for questions if uh, if you have any, Marty. Otherwise, happy to wrap up.
1: Ed, thanks very much. That rundown from FT was, was really valuable because a lot of us, as you know, get bits and pieces, but this seemed like a very good checklist.
2: Yes, I thought so too. And in fact, we, we reproduced it in our monthly report, which is on your website. Uh, I think it's on page uh, three, so your readers can check it out.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. Good talking to you.
0: Okay. Thanks, Ed. And thanks, Marty. Um, As always, uh, you can find us on our uh, website, which is commodityresearchgroup.com. My email is aleboe at commodityresearchgroup.com. We have a brand new website, which is terrific, and we're getting a lot of great feedback on it. So uh, please, please visit that. And we thank EKT for that. Marty?
1: Andy, really enjoyed being on the podcast with you. Uh, As I listen to Ed, maybe in uh, one of our future sessions, we can talk about the oil and gas demand forecast now with this new, really low ECB economic forecast. Uh, I think our listeners would be very interested in how that's going to translate to barrels. But I appreciate being part of the podcast. I'm Marty Stetzer, president of EKT Interactive in Houston. If you're interested, if you're new to the industry and interested in learning more about the vagaries of the shale play or what happens in offshore production, take a look at our website, uh, www.ektinteractive.com. We have three examples of our digital training that you can watch and listen on your phone. Thanks for the opportunity to participate, Andy.
0: Okay. Thank you, Marty.